Thank, again, thanks for coming. Raise your hand if you didn't get a set of sermon notes. They've got sermon notes available for you. We're continuing on in our study of waking up in Vegas. This is talking about turning points in people's lives. We talked about the prodigal son waking up in the pig pen and coming to himself and going home to the father. We talked about Samson and him making bad choices and finding himself at the grinding wheel. We talked about Elijah who didn't do anything wrong but yet still had people after him wanting to take his life and how he got so discouraged with that. We've talked about several different characters. The Pastor Josh shared with you last week, the for Mother's Day, we take a break on, on Mother's Day because we just want to honor all of the women of Cornerstone. And that now we're back to it today. We're going to talk about the subject of failure. How many of you have ever done anything colossally stupid before? You guys ever done anything like that? You know, where you're just embarrassed? Don't be pointing at other people, all right, you know. <laughs> That's just not nice. And so, you know, you just do something really stupid or something really bad or you've, you've had a failure. Maybe your business failed. Maybe you were, you know, this isn't a joke. Maybe you were unfaithful in your marriage. Maybe you wounded a friend. In other words, there are serious failures that people go through. One of the examples when we talk about failure in the New Testament is we talk about the failure of Peter. You see, Peter had been a, a devoted follower of Jesus during his three-plus years of ministry here on earth. And Peter had even said, you know, Jesus, even if, even if we have to die with you, we will die with you. But then on the night that Jesus was taken and his trial began, Peter was standing out in the courtyard, and someone said, hey, weren't you one of Jesus' followers? And Peter said, no. And then someone else asked me, you know, you've got the accent of a Galilean. You know, surely you were with him as well. And Peter said no. And then the Bible tells us that a young woman, just not much past a little girl, she said, yes, you were, you were with him, weren't you? And he cursed and said no. And then he runs away and he weeps. Friends, Peter failed. He failed not just his Lord, but he failed his friend. Now, the scripture we're going to read today is part of three showings of himself to Peter after the resurrection. The, Jesus has already appeared to Peter and the other disciples twice before, and we refer to this, this group of Jesus coming and seeing Peter and the others, we refer to that as the restoration of Peter. And it's going to complete today, and we'll find within just a few chapters later on and early in the book of Acts, Peter is going to stand up and say, O men of Jerusalem, and he's going to give a blistering sermon, an indictment against the people who had crucified Jesus and warn them, you need to follow him as well. But that all culminates here on the seashore at the beach where Jesus is going to appear to Peter this third time and have a conversation with him. Take a look with me in John chapter 21, picking it up at verse number three. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out, friends, haven't you any fish? No. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Jesus said to him, bring some of the fish you just caught. Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now, this was the third time, underline, this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah. Now, right here in verse 15, 
we're going to begin a three-episode process with Peter. He's going to ask him, do you love me? Peter's going to respond, I do. And then he's going to say, feed my sheep. Three times it's going to happen. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, do you love me more than these? Now, tell the person next to you, is he talking about the other disciples or the fish? Talking over the person next to you. I tend to vote for the fish because every time Peter had a problem, he went back to what was comfortable. He went back to fishing. In other words, Peter, was, that was his trade. He knew fishing, and, and when he was out fishing, he was probably a good fisherman. But at this point in time, he's feeling like a failure as a follower of Christ. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Underline that, first episode. Jesus said again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. Underline that, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Circle the word hurt. This would hurt your feelings too. He was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. He said, Lord, you, you know that I love you. You know all things. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Underline that. It's really important for you to recognize what's missing from this scripture. Jesus said, ask him the question, Peter, do you love me? And he said, Lord, I do. Then feed my sheep. Right there, there's something missing. And so because it's missing, we come to the second episode. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. There's something missing right there. Because it's missing, we come to the third episode. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. What's missing? What's missing is the response. Yes, Lord, I will. Y yesterday, about 2 o'clock, I sent out an email to the church body. We have 100 openings in early childhood, and we have 100 openings in the children's department. You say, Rod, how can those departments absorb so many people? Friends, there's 4.3 weekends per year. There's five services per weekend. The, if you take and do the math on that, that's about five additional people in early childhood, about five additional people in children's ministry each service. And so, the, of course, we can absorb that many. But the real reason that we send it out is we think everybody who really cares about being a disciple of Christ Christ. We believe that you ought to come. We believe you ought to get in a group, and we believe that you ought to serve. And so I challenged you with that email. I said, go ahead, press the button. We're going to talk today about Jesus' admonition to Peter to press the button. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then Peter, press the button. Peter, get, put your love into action. Peter, minister to someone else. This is what's happening in this scripture. Jesus is challenging him, take your love and put it into action. If I was to ask you, do you love the Lord? And if you respond yes, then I'm going to say, then, then are you ready for the step of ministry? At that point, you'll have to decide whether there's the silence of Peter or whether or not you're willing to press the button, whether or not you're willing to take the step of ministry. Now, this is dealing with Peter's failure. I want to bring you one other passage of Scripture today, and it's about Joseph of Arimathea. Now, this is not Mary and Joseph. This is Joseph of Arimathea. He was a prominent Jew in the community. In other words, he was a part of probably not only the Pharisees, but probably a part of the leadership there in Jerusalem. He was a prominent man, but he was also a secret follower of Christ. After Jesus had been crucified, he goes to Pilate and asks, for the body. Now, you know, it's amazing how we look back in history, and because we know what we know, we tend to think they knew what we know. 
In other words, we look at Joseph of Arimathea, and here's the question. Why did he go for the body? Why did he do that? Well, he went so that the prophecy that Jesus would be buried in a rich man's tomb would be fulfilled. I don't think Joseph was all that familiar with that. Well, you know, he was going because Jesus was the Christ. There was going to be a resurrection. Joseph didn't know that. Well, you know, he went there because, you know, of the ministry. No, no, no. Five days before, Jesus had shown up, rode in on a donkey, which was symbolic of a king coming into Jerusalem. Everyone is shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everyone is expecting Jesus to to be the, the new leader over Israel and to deal with these pesky Romans. And now, five days later, he has suffered a criminal's death. I ask you again. If this person had come to you and you had looked at them as the Savior, the Messiah, and now you've watched them just to be executed as a criminal, would you go and claim the body along with all the dangers that go along with it? Here it is in the scripture. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. Go over on the right-hand side. Let's talk about two types of failure, and then we'll talk about the antidotes for those. Let's start off with a couple of conversations that I'm just going to make up. Tell the person next to you what he's about to tell us he is making up. Tell the person next to you. It's important for you to be able to differentiate between what's coming from the scripture and a story that I'm just telling you, but let's start off with Peter and his wife. Peter and his wife were sitting around the house, and Peter was thinking to himself, he's just feeling kind of restless, and he stands up to leave. Peter's wife says to him, honey, where are you going? How many of you, when your spouse leaves in the evening, you say, honey, where are you going? How many of you would do that? You wouldn't just watch him leave, would you? In other words, he stands up to leave. He says, honey, where are you going? Because people went fishing at night. And so, you know, Peter is getting, well, I'm going to go fishing. And she has that look on her face like, Peter, are you really going to go fishing again? Peter, is this, is this really what Jesus would want you to do? And so she said, you know, Peter, Jesus has appeared to you twice. She said, don't even call me Peter. Jesus called me Peter when he thought I was going to be the rock that the church was built on. Jesus called me Peter, which means stone. When You know what? He called me that when, when he thought he could trust me. Jesus called me Peter when he thought that, that I was dependable and I was going to be the leader of the disciples after. It, don't don't even call me Peter anymore. Peter, he's already come to you twice, offering forgiveness, drawing you back to him. Peter, he, he, he's already been here two other times. Are you really going to go back to fishing? Yes, I'm going to go back to fishing. I was a coward. I denied him. That's all I'm good for. And Peter heads out the door. Take a look inside your notes. I want to describe the type of failure that I'm talking about here. This is the kind of failure that spills over onto the people you love. In other words, your stupid mistake hurt others. Your sinful mistake hurt others. They're paying the price right along with you. Letter B, they make you question who you are, whether or not you are foolish, whether or not you are a coward, whether or not you are trustworthy. You're certain this kind of failure could have never happened to you. Peter certainly was. He said, Lord, if I have to die with you, I will. But then when it came down to standing beside him, he didn't. Then finally, letter D, you feel you should give up. It's almost the honorable thing. Jesus could do so much better than me. You know, he could pick one of the others. He could pick John. He's always had a special place in his heart for John. You know, honey, he could, he could choose someone almost as if it's the honorable thing to just sit down and quit 
in the middle of our failure, almost as if that's all we should deserve. That's the first kind of failure. Let's talk about the second kind, though. This is the kind when you feel like someone else has failed you. Joseph and his wife. Now, Peter, we know, was married. Joseph, I don't even know if he was married. Most likely he was. But he's sitting around the house, and he gets up to walk out, and his wife asks him, honey, where are you going? Honey, I'm, I'm going to go down, and I'm going to claim the body of Jesus. She said, you're going to go claim the body of Jesus? You can't. Joseph, in your position, it's not safe to go and do that. And, and jo- honey, I, I think it's the right thing to do. The Passover's getting ready to start. It's just not, not fitting. And, J- Joseph, I can't believe it. Honey, if, if I don't go claim the body, you know what happens to the bodies of criminals. They take them out and they throw them on the trash heap. And as Joseph thought about that, he just couldn't stand the thought. He said, so now I'm going to go and I'm going to claim the body and she said, Joseph, Joseph, how, how can you even want to do it? Five days ago, we all believed that he was the king. Now you see him for what he really is. Joseph, just a, just a few days ago, we thought that, that, he was, that he was the Messiah. We thought that wonderful things were going to happen. Joseph, we thought that, that the leadership of Israel was going to change. That You know, we, we just had so many dreams, and now they're all gone. He died a criminal's death. Joseph, let it go. And Joseph refuses to listen says, I'm going to claim the body. And that's exactly what he does. Take a look back inside your notes with me. Letter A, we think someone has failed us and we're so wounded by it, we can't get our balance. In other words, Joseph and his wife are feeling let down at this point in time. Look at number two, it hurts when we feel like people have failed us, but we are crushed when we feel God has failed us. Now, I'm 52 years old, and I've been attending church every weekend all of my life. My parents were pastoring when I was born, and so when I say I've attended all of my life, I mean that literally several times a week all of my life. And having grown up in church, we are trained and we are enculturated that there are some things that you don't say and you try your best not to even think And one of those things is the idea that somehow we are angry at God or somehow God has failed us. That's one of those things that Christ followers, if they ever express that in a small group, if they ever express that to another believer, they're most often made to feel like they're sort of lacking in their faith. They're sort of lacking in their walk with God. Friends, but this isn't uh, the typical traditional church, this is Cornerstone, and Cornerstone, we deal in reality, and the reality of it is that after I suffered major loss in my life, I was angry at God. I felt God had cheated me. I felt God had dealt with me deceitfully. I felt like God had let me down. Is there one or two others in the room that you would say, you know, Pastor Ron, there was a time when I I felt that God had let me down too. Is there one or two others that could be, yeah, And like I said, we're kind of trained not to ever admit that kind of stuff. And it's one thing for other people to let us down. But the truth of the matter is, if you live long enough, you kind of accept the fact that from time to time, people that even ones that love you dearly are going to fail you or let you down, that, that that's going to happen, or, or at least you think they'll fail you and let you down, and sometimes they didn't, we just think that they did. That's one thing to have it happen from other people, but for it to happen from God who maybe you have served faithfully and I have served faithfully, well, it, it's different then. It, it's a heart that's not wounded. It's a heart that's crushed, and, and I think several of us in the room, I think we understand that feeling. 
my sense of reading the scripture is that the disciples were struggling with this, that Joseph was struggling with this. Yes, I made up that conversation entirely, and I may be entirely wrong. They have, may have just had so much faith. Some people would say, no, 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 he foresaw the resurrection. I just don't believe it. I think the disciples, and I think Joseph, and Nicodemus, and I think all of them were struggling with the fact they thought they had hitched their wagon to the winning team, only to see in the course of five days to go from being hailed as king to nailed as a cross as a criminal, and I do not believe the disciples were standing around waiting for the resurrection. The scripture gives us no indication of that. The only indication we have uh, about their reaction to the resurrection is shock and surprise. Take a look at the next one with me. Let her see. Now, don't forget, though, in my story, they were wrong. In my made-up story of Joseph and his wife, they were wrong. Roman numeral one, our perceptions of people are often just plain wrong. Have you ever had someone come to you and say, you know, so-and-so feels like you don't like them? How many have ever had someone say that to you, so-and-so feels like you don't like them? Raise your hand if that's ever happened. And the most common response is who? In other words, you don't even know who they are. You know, the, I'll just be honest. I am the, you know, I am of Scotch-Irish descent. I am Northern European descent, and the truth of the matter is, we are not exactly expressive people. Okay, in other words, the people joke around. You know, Pastor Ron, you know, you joke around not really liking to be hugged. Friends, Pastor Bill is here. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of you hugged him? Okay. Get it out of your system before you see me. Friends, I'll be honest, a lot of times I carry around a cup of water just to avoid shaking hands with some of you, but they, they, we'll let that go for today. They, someone asked me earlier, I had that cup, and they said, Pastor Ron, you drink coffee? I said, no, I'm a Christian. So, you know, I just, <laughs> I'm praying for some of you deliverance, but the truth of the matter is our perceptions of people are often so wrong. Have you ever had one of those experiences where someone says, did you see how they looked at me? Did you, see the, did you see what they did? And the other person's sitting there thinking, are you nuts? I mean, you're just, you know, like, did you bump your head on the way down here or something? Are you just crazy? People say that with me. They'll say, you know, Pastor Ron, you know, I have trouble telling what you're thinking. Friends, you need to know that I am doing budgets and I am doing math and I'm doing 20-year planning. That's what's always going I have trouble finding the church because I'm thinking about other stuff. Friends, trust me. I am not walking around thinking about, worried about what you wore to church today, okay? The, you passed the test. As long as you got clothes on, you have made the cornerstone dress code, okay? Some of you might do better with a few other clothes. You know, I, some of you with your suits, what am I talking about? That's not, you don't even own a suit. All right. And so, you know, just, I'm glad that you're here, okay? I'm not thinking about that at all. But yet our perceptions of people tell us all kinds of that stuff. We, we tells us that they don't like us. or When we feel others have failed us, oftentimes that's what's going on. Our perceptions are just wrong. I was sitting in my office one day, and a person came in to see me, and they were really, they had really been bothering, wrestling with something. They were really hurt by something. So they sat down in front of me and said, Pastor Ron, I'm really struggling with this, and yeah, I've really waited over and I prayed about it, and I, you know, but I'd want you to know, Pastor Ron, I want you to know I love you, and I, I just, I completely forgive you. And I sat there for a minute, and I'm thinking, all of a sudden I realized what they're talking about, and I thought, I didn't do that. So I had a choice. I could tell them I didn't do it, or man, they were being so generous with their forgiveness, I could just accept their forgiveness. So I waited over for about 10 seconds, and that was easy because they were talking the whole time. I'm weighing it over, and I'm thinking, shoot, forget it. 
Thank you so much. I appreciate that. That is so generous of you. They went out feeling like a million bucks because they've been so gracious and forgiving. They just don't understand. I didn't do it, okay? I just didn't do it. Didn't think about it. Didn't do it. Had nothing to do with it. But man, I am so glad they forgave me. Friends, oftentimes our perceptions are just incorrect. But that leads me to a more important point. The next one, letter, Roman numeral two, a lot of our expectations of God are just flat wrong. We look at the Bible and all, friends, you, okay, raise your hand if you own a New Testament. You, got, you guys got one, right? If not, they're available online. Okay, you, you got one. How many of you remember anything bad ever happening in the Bible? Hey, you, got, you just remember that guy, Stephen? Tell the person next to you what happened to Stephen. This will be on your Bible trivia question later on. What happened to Stephen? They, they killed him, right? But how did they do it? They beat him to death with rocks. That's how they killed Stephen. Friends, the, we look at the Bible, and somehow from the Bible, we take away this promise that we will never suffer, that we will never struggle. All of the disciples except for John are martyred, and John is uh, exiled to the Isle of Patmos. The, uh, but all of the rest of them are, are crucified, beaten. To the, I, I mean, all of them. But yet we take away from the New Testament that we're never going to struggle. We look at the Bible and we, we see, in fact, we, we look at church history in the first, second, and third century. We look at the thousands and thousands of people martyred for Christ, torn limb from limb in the Colosseum and other parts of the Roman Empire. We look at all of that and somehow we take away from it that we're never going to have a struggle. We look at Stephen Stone, Paul Beaton, Peter in prison. That We look at these guys who went through such trials as Christ followers and we stand back and, and we lost our job. Pastor Ron, I can't believe God did this to me. Wait a second here. There are, there are going to be things that happen. Where did we get the expectation that as Christ followers that we would never, be, never struggle? The Bible doesn't teach that Christ followers were nev will never struggle. The Bible teaches to be brave in the face of struggle. The Bible teaches for us to stand fast beside Christ during times of struggle. Friends, the, the Bible doesn't give me oftentimes my expectations. Friends, I suffered horrible loss in my life, but God robbed me of nothing. God did not break his promises to me. God did not abandon me. God did not deal deceitfully with me. But we oftentimes, we have this expectation that the sins of the world will never splash onto our families. Let's talk about the antidote to these failures. When we have failed, when someone else has failed us, or even the fear that God has failed us. Take a look at letter B, the antidote for real or perceived failure is love and action. Love and press the button. Love and take the step of ministry. Love, Peter, and feed my sheep. Take a look at the first one. Number one, when you have failed. Letter A, love enough to accept forgiveness from God. Accept forgiveness from others and from yourself. You're trapped until you do. Until Peter embraces the forgiveness of Christ, Peter is gonna spend the rest of his life fishing. Until he allows Christ to forgive him for his cowardice, to forgive him for his denials, to forgive him for his abandonment. Until Peter loves Jesus enough to accept the forgiveness he so desperately needed, Peter is never going to be the rock that the church is going to be built on. The first step has to be loving enough to accept the forgiveness of others and yourself. And let her be, press the button. Pressing the button is movement from focus on you to touching the needs of others. In that email I sent out, 
the, I had, uh, there were several things that I wrote in there, but I thought, no, I, I need to just keep this short and to the point. But I, I talked about ministering to those who are at the most impressionable age in our entire congregation and the privilege of that, that if there's any higher calling to ministry, I don't know what it is than to minister, as the Bible says, unto the least of these. Friends, this idea of loving should lead us to pressing the button, and this is what Jesus is waiting for in this scripture. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. You know all things. Then feed my sheep. Silence from Peter. Now his heart is touched. And we see transformation between this chapter of John and Acts. Just a... Just unbelievable how this man who cowered in front of a little girl asking him, are you a follower of Jesus, to standing up in the courtyards of Jerusalem and proclaiming, not only am I a follower of Christ, but ye men of Jerusalem who have crucified him. He stands up and he confronts the people with courage that we have never seen in the life of Peter before. It starts with love and then it moves to action. It is love and press the button. What about when others have failed you? or you think they have. Number two, others have failed you. Letter A, love them enough to remember that you might be wrong. That our perceptions of others and others' perceptions of us are often wrong. We are extremely fallible at mind reading. In fact, turn the person next to you and do this. We are just not nearly as good at that as we think. And it's amazing how often, often we start off with the incredible stupid statement of, well, I really know what you're thinking. Really? Really? Friends, the, our, let's love them enough to know that we might be wrong. And the second part there is let her be right or wrong, love them anyway. Well, Pastor Ron, how can I love them after they failed me this way? How could you not unless your love was based on what they were going to do for you? How could you not unless it was about what you were going to get from them? Love isn't about what we get or what, no, love is about genuinely caring for someone else. Joseph doesn't go and get the body because of what Jesus can do for him. Joseph goes to get the body just because he loved him. Joseph looked at the idea of them throwing his friend on the trash heap and he was repulsed by that idea and he said, I'm going to get the body. It doesn't matter if it's dangerous. It doesn't matter what other people think. I'm going to go and get him and I'm not only going to go get him, honey, I'm going to bury him in my tomb. That's what I'm going to do. Not because of what he could get, but simply because he loved. I'm saying, even if you feel someone has failed you, love them anyway. And then the third part there, letter C, press the button. Take the step of removing focus off of us to touching and meeting the needs of others. Love and push the button. Number three, and even when you think God's the one who failed you, Remember in our story, Jesus certainly didn't fail them. There was a resurrection coming. But when you think God's failed you, letter A, love him long enough. Love him long enough to see that he didn't. Love him long enough for your heart to heal enough so that your vision clears. Oftentimes when we are hurt, when we are angry, when we feel betrayed, our judgment becomes clouded, our vision becomes unclear, and we make judgments on others and even on God that we look back on and we're ashamed of. Friends, love him long enough to see that he didn't fail us, nor will he in the future. And let her be, press the button. 
Helping others is what brings healing to you. Put your notes aside with me and bow your heads for a moment. Maybe there's one or two here that you're in the middle of colossally stupid. Maybe you're the one here that you had to close the business and you feel like such a failure. You look in the eyes of your kids and you realize that, oh man, I I have just failed. I am not the mom or the dad that I should have been to them. Or maybe you look at a struggle that one of your children's going through and you take their struggle and you internalize it and you see yourself as a bad mom or a bad dad. What's the antidote? Love and action. Accepting the forgiveness of God, the forgiveness of others, and forgiveness of ourselves. Pressing the button. What about when others have failed you or you think they have? Whether they have or haven't, I'm not denying that sometimes people will wound you. Not denying that. Just saying be careful. Sometimes we think people have wounded us when they really had nothing to do with it. Love them enough to leave room to be wrong. But if they have, love them anyway. This isn't about what we can get from one another. It's always amazing to me how very much people love one another as long as they agree with each other, as long as they make decisions the way they want them made, how very deep the love is until there's a disagreement or a decision is made that they don't like and then all of a sudden, well, the love was just a wee bit conditional. I'm saying love them anyway. And if you are those one or two or 20 that Maybe you're battling right now, feeling like God let you know. Feeling like God let you down. Love him long enough to realize he didn't. That he loves us, he loves our families. He loves the people around us, he loves our church. And he is not an angry God looking for a reason to smite his children. He is a loving Savior that embraces those who are willing to allow His embrace. But each time He asked Peter, do you love me? Peter answered correctly, yes, Lord, I do, and I believe Him. And I believe you do. He says, feed my sheep. I need a hundred of you to feed little tiny lambs. I got a bunch of lambs up and down that hallway that need the security of a Christ follower. Just playing blocks with them or holding them or just being there when when they're feeling, feeling bad that mom's not right there. I need a hundred of you to press the button. I need a hundred people that are willing to say, yeah, if a third grader needs help coloring a picture, I passed coloring. I'm not looking for Bible scholars today. I'm looking for fishermen. I'm looking for guys that knew no more than how to string a pole and a beta hook. I'm looking for real people. People that 
say, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And you say, okay, Jesus, I'm on it. Love and press the button. Lord Jesus, I thank you for a congregation that loves you dearly. Lord, I pray that when we all stand before you, that we will have been disciples you called us to. Lord, people that love one another and love our community enough to draw us to action. Lord, I pray that we would be sheep herders for you. Lord, we love you and we ask these things in your name. Amen.